This program has been made possible through the support of Cruise, driving cities forward through their autonomous vehicle development. Learn more about how Cruise is transforming the future of transportation through improving our cities by building safe, shared, and all-electronic self-driving cars. Visit them online at getcruise.com. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this evening's presentation named Advocating for the Best Learning Options in a Hybrid Environment. I'm your facilitator, Dr. Tanika East, and your opening CEU code is 80684. Again, that opening code for CEU credits is 80684. For today's learning session, for advocating for the best learning options in a hybrid environment. Hi, everybody, and this is Mo Carpenter, and I will be helping out Tanika, just kind of keeping the conversation moving. And I am here. Tanika is here from AABT, and I am here from ACB Next Generation. And so we highly encourage you all to check out both affiliates. We have three panelists with here. We have with us a student perspective, a parent perspective, and a teaching perspective on how we can just kind of go around and get the best education for ourselves or for our students the best way we can. And Tamika, do you want to kind of go through our panelists? And if you want to introduce them or have them introduce themselves, that's perfectly fine with me. Okay. I will start with our first panelist, which is Dr. Tabitha Brecky from Auburn University. Tabitha, over to you. So as Tanika said, I'm, I'm Tabitha Brecky. I have two hats at Auburn University. One is as an accommodation specialist in the Office of Accessibility. So what that means is that I assist students with disabilities to get their accommodations and help the faculty implement them. And then I'm also an adjunct professor in the adult education program. So that's what I do currently. My background is in um, rehabilitation teaching and rehabilitation counseling previously. Thank you so much. Next, from the parent perspective, we have Kayla Allen. I'm Kayla Allen. Um, I'm from Arizona, and I am a blind parent with a child with a learning disability. So I have that kind of perspective of being disabled myself and then advocating for my son and my niece at the same time while being online. So thank you for having me. Wonderful. And then our final panelist is Nat Radcliffe. Nat? Hello, you guys. I'm Nat or Natalia. I am a senior in college. I currently attend Cal State University, Dominguez Hills. My major is in communications with a focus in public relations. Um, I have had the last year and a half of my um, educational career and completely online. And uh, this upcoming year is also predicted to be online. Um, I currently live in Boise, Idaho, and it's nice to meet you guys and be here. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you, panelists. So we just want to start out. If you guys could give us um, just an overview and talk about how COVID-19 and the pandemic, how you pivoted with your environments during that time. And I'll start with you, Nat. Um, I feel like the beginning of the pandemic was so long ago. <laughs> Um, for me, I, it was very, it was, I cannot say that it was easy. It was very, very difficult because there was just so much, 
uh, miscommunication between all the offices and, you know, getting my needs met because we had my um, accommodations were all set for in-person and when the pandemic first started, it was it it was quite literally like, oh, I'll see you tomorrow in class. And then it was actually we're not having class for the next two weeks because we need to figure out how to do this. And it was it was very, very difficult um, because they were not sure how to accommodate every student and they weren't sure how to transition easily from doing an in-person statistics class to going fully online. And I know that, you know, at the time it felt very, 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 uh, like very much like a struggle, but everybody was struggling, you know? So there was that commonality that we all had was that we could lean on each other because we were all unsure. Thank you. Kayla? Yeah, so um, my kids were sent home from school on March 5th, um, 2020, and they have not yet gone back to school. So um, for the first few months up until school got out in May, there was nothing really the schools were even really doing for the kids. So during that time, my son obviously did not receive any services um, that were outlined in his IEP. Um, our home, <laughs> our dining room table became a desk for one child and our other table became a desk for another kid. And so our home life and the way everything was set up definitely was flipped upside down and still kind of is a little, we're starting to get back on track, but yeah, so it, it was very, um, very disruptive. And then my husband came home. So, um, all of us, we're one big, happy, cozy family, all trying to make our way and find our space um, to do what we need to get done. Now, what ages are your children and are they visually impaired? So, no, neither of my children are visually impaired. Um, my son, who just turned 11, is dyslexic and has some other um, learning disabilities. So for him to be online where everything is text-based, and not accessible to me to help him through that was extremely difficult. Um, we tried out a, a, a variety of different programs that were apps you could download, plugins for, because everything for them is done on a Chromebook, um, trying to get the accessibility for me on there. It, it took a long time to get it all set up. Um, and now he now he's more independent with that. Um, he... Um, here in Arizona, school goes back at the beginning of August. So when we did finally go back to school and they had a program that they were going to use that had some structure to it, unlike the last, you know, March through May, it took a long time to even get those services put in place where he had a resource teacher. For the first three months of school, he had five different teachers um, because they kept leaving. They kept getting switched around. And for someone who, um, like my son, who has disabilities, the um, inconsistency was huge for him. That was really hard for him to um, even get, have a chance to even settle in and get comfortable with anything. And it took a lot of advocacy on my part, calling, first of all, trying to figure out who do I even call? because there's not much information. When they're in a brick and mortar, mortar building, I can go to the you know, the principal and say, okay, these aren't the issues. And this is, you know, I've done that. I felt 100% confident in doing that and reaching out to the pre the principal and everything. Um, when we got online, it was, there was four different principals for elementary. You weren't assigned a principal. You just kept calling until someone would listen to you. And so that was a lot of every day. I called someone every day, multiple people a day, just to even get these services that he is legally um, entitled to, available to him, and have it in an accessible manner where I could help him navigate through these programs that he's never seen or used before and can't read the, the titles. My daughter, who's 13, helped out some, but she's in her own classes. And like I said, my husband was working from home, so there wasn't a whole lot he could do to help out either. I mean, they did their best on breaks and stuff like that. 
it was, I will say it was a family um, affair to get this kid educated for that time period. Thank you so much for that perspective. Dr. Brecky, from the university perspective, how did Auburn pivot and catch us up to now? Sure. Um, So I guess I experienced it from sort of three different perspectives. One was working as a staff member. And at first with that, because I'm also blind, I use screen readers and I use both Mac and Windows. So learning to use Zoom and Teams and utilizing apps and things on my phone and the computer, I did a lot of technology learning in the spring semester. Our students, depending on the disability, some students loved all of a sudden getting to be online and having their classes online. And for some, it was really difficult, whether it be um, due to a learning disability or whether like with ADHD, they had trouble focusing, you know, constantly being online and it was too big of a temptation to look at other things on the computer um, with everything online. So we had the uh, um, online exams. We've been able to extend, you know, time on exams. That's, That's easy to do. One of the things that we had to work through is some of the test proctoring systems like Honor Lock, um, doesn't work with screen readers. It's, it's not accessible. So we had to figure out other ways. Was the professor going to proctor the exam over Zoom or were we going to have some of our test proctors do that so that the student could still use um, his or her computer with the screen reading software and, you know, take their tests that way? Um, as a teacher, and I guess I had even though I wasn't a student myself with a visual impairment during the time, but as a teacher, it was a totally different kind of learning environment. Um, It took a lot more effort to make sure of the communication that was happening. So if I'm lecturing in a classroom, I can hear if people are shuffling around. So you get a sense, are people bored or does somebody have a question? You can sometimes tell if somebody's um, seeming to, you know, want to ask a question when I was lecturing on Zoom last, what would that have been, last fall, um, I had, I, it took a lot more work and um, trying to get that feedback. So I can only imagine as a student studying at home what that would have been like to not have some of that kind of instant feedback about surroundings. Um, so that's... Um, kind of where things are. Auburn has pretty much said, you know, we're full steam ahead in the fall as normal. One of the accommodations now, though, that we are getting asked about is, can I take my classes online? Well, we don't change course formats as an accommodation. What we have said, because Zoom recordings were being made of all the, you know, classes, we've been able to work with faculty to see, you know, if the documentation supports it, if the student has a health concern, and if the faculty feels it's feasible, whether the student can still take a class, you know, classes online in the spring. Now, what we do with that in the fall, it's still evolving. Um, A lot of this stuff has really evolved. Great. Thank you for that perspective. Again, um, thank you, everyone, for joining this current session on advocating for the best learning options in a hybrid environment. If there are any questions, uh, Brandon, just kind of interject and and let me know. We'll stop periodically to ask those questions from the group. So I'll start with Kayla on this one. Give us a positive, something that really worked well in this hybrid environment because for me and I didn't introduce myself as well but I work at Kentucky State University in Frankfort, Kentucky and my youngest daughter is blind and she is a student at Kentucky School for the Blind and we transitioned during COVID and moved, started a new job, all those great things, and from Tennessee School for the Blind, where she was a student for eight years. So COVID, for me, brought both of my children back home. And like Kayla, ours was March 2nd for spring break, and she never returned back to Tennessee. 
and my oldest was in college, so she came back home as well. So for us, just analyzing the virtual space and if we could continue that for a long period of time with being in, in a different state. So I, too, wore many different lens, as Dr. Brecky alluded to. I was the parent. I was the staff member. And I was a student because I was completing my doctoral studies for my last three classes. So I think for me, I'm going to say for my for my attaboy, my, my good thing, it brought both of my children back home. And I don't know if it's good or bad now, but <laughs> having them back, back home under one roof was my positive outcome. So Kayla, give me a positive affirmation. So um, when it goes to my son, uh, he also is ADHD. So having these smaller periods of time where he was in a meeting for an hour and then he would have a small break and then going back for an hour was amazing for him. He was able to run around the house, go jump on the trampoline, give his dog some love. And he actually, once we got all his accommodations, I fought for a new IEP to be updated to reflect being online. Because like Nat said, his accommodations for, were, in, were for or in the classroom. So this was completely different. What he needed did not look the same. So once I um, did get the new IEP and we got it in place, we got an amazing resource teacher who just she I, I can't even talk high enough about her um she has taken my son under her wing we hired her over the summer to continue working with him and will over the next year even though he will be going back to campus because she cares so much about my son's success and i see that i saw that the first day she logged in with him he responds well to her she is strict but kind at the same time. And that's what she, he really needed. So even though we got a really rough start, he ended up at the end of the school year with all A's and B's where before he was struggling to get C's. So, and that in, you know, in turn helped his self-confidence. So I really struggled, um, School, like I said, starts here in August, August 3rd. So we're almost there. I really struggled with whether to keep him online or to put him back into the classroom because we do have that option. And so I figure I will, I'll put him back in class and see how he does. If he struggles, I'll pull him back out and put him back online. Um, and for my daughter, she started taking Spanish classes and doing all these science projects and stuff. And I got to be there and witness her taking her first Spanish test and um, interacting with her teacher and learning. And that's a lot of things I would have missed if they weren't home with me. So I definitely, both ways, you know, it started out rough, but we got through it and it ended up being good. Thank you for that perspective. Um, Nat, give us your positive affirmation for being a college student. So I feel that I because of the pandemic, I got to have a whole a, a host of experiences I would not have had otherwise. I They allowed a select number of people to move on campus, and I got to move into my own apartment on campus with my guide dog, and the limited number of students really gave me the opportunity to explore what was around me and feel confident because people were doing so well at communicating. Whereas before when I attended um, UC Santa Cruz and I lived there, it, it felt like there was so much, a lot of the times people were on the go and they, you know, it was harder to get someone to communicate with and to tell, to tell them, Hey, this is what's wrong. And, this is what I think we can do. Um, it also allowed me to be more flexible and I, it allowed me to intern with ACB and Cindy Hollis. For 
ooh, the first, my first semester completely fully online. Um, I feel like I would not have been able to be an intern had I been doing in-person classes. And I learned so much from that. I interacted with ACB so much and I felt like I was part of a bigger thing. And, you know, that always, it brings me so much joy and I'm not crying. (laughs) I'm trying not to cry, (laughs) but, um, you know, it really did. It gave me that, those opportunities I wouldn't have. I, you know, currently I moved from California a month ago to Idaho because I got a job and again, that's not something I would have been able to do had we been in person. So I'm just very grateful. It's okay, Nat, to cry. I'm super emotional <laughs> all the time. So I feel you. I feel you. Dr. Brecky, give me some positive affirmations and then I'm going to turn it over to Mo and let her ask some questions. Sure. For me, the most positive was I really enjoyed working from home. I felt like I was more efficient. I could accomplish things and then do other things. And so it, it just was um, nice to be able to work from home for a while. I, I like that. I think the other thing that it's done from, from an organizational standpoint, it's made us think about how we do things and why we do them. And sometimes we don't always do that as organizations or at universities, things tend to kind of change slowly. But I think this has forced us to think about why do we do the accommodations we do? Why do we um, have whatever procedures in place? And so it's, it's broadened how we can serve students. Um, so we're keeping Zoom as an option for appointments along with, you know, in person if they want. So it's, you know, it's allowed us to rethink some things. When you talk about that, I think it's putting it in a university perspective, because I know for my office, we kept that. I just we went back fully on campus 100 uh, percent July 1. And then we start school officially for fall um, for the university, August 16th. But then our students in the Kentucky School for the Blind, they go back on August 8th. So I, I too like keeping those options open. Mo? And I'm going to point this more in the direction of Kayla and Nat. And uh, well, I guess we'll have Nat go first since Kayla went first before. But, and I have a feeling I know Nat's answer to part of this question. But seeing as we are going into a new school year, um, Nat, you shared, I believe that you're in Idaho now and your school is in California. So I assume you're going to school online because of that factor. But is there any other factors that pushed you to online schooling versus in-person learning for this upcoming school year? Um, yeah, so we had the very weird option of either doing the hybrid online in-person thing or being completely online. And I realized for me that the best way that I learn is by being consistent. And online for me did not feel the best because I was taking all the classes that are required for my major. But I, you know, I just felt that I couldn't do another year of being online completely. And the fact that we didn't really have a choice of alternatives, it was kind of like, okay, I'll stay online. Um, but meanwhile, I'm going to go do the snazzy thing in Idaho, you know? So I feel like another path opened up for me. And while schooling is still something that is a very big part of my life, I feel like I needed to continue that growth I guess to piggyback off of that, have you had any issues with getting that as your option for this fall semester or were they very open to letting you do that? Or was there anything special that you needed to put into place in order to get that option? No, I kind of felt like they were kind of really relieved 
<laughs> because, you know, it's just so much easier for them to be like, oh, okay, this is what we did last semester. Is this still going to work for you? And the good thing is that with my um, my major is that we have several of the same professors teaching the same subjects or different subjects the farther into my career we got so it's very easy for me to be like hey professor riso can we meet at this time and he'd be like sure send a zoom link you know it wasn't there's never been like something that has prevented me that is not like oh an internet outage or something like that you know i feel like it has definitely lowered the barrier somewhat thanks so much nat and so kayla I know you mentioned that your children will be, I believe, did you say they were going back this fall? I'm sorry. Yeah, they will be. Um, But we do still have that option open of online schooling. And um, this, like I said before, this was a really hard decision because I saw my son start to grow and start to get more confidence. And um, some of the things he was struggling with, he's, he's overcome. Um, but on the other hand, um, he's going into fifth grade and this is the first year they start switching classes. And so rather than having one teacher, they slowly, he'll have three this year and then next year he'll have four and then he'll go to junior high. So they slowly ease them into that style of schooling. And so I felt like it was important for him to get that now uh, when the other kids are starting to learn that, as well as um, social interaction, um, because he already struggles with interacting with kids of his own age. And so I feel like having him in an environment where he's forced to do that is a good growth (laughs) opportunity for him. Um, But I do feel secure in the fact that at any time I feel like it, we already have that IEP set up for him to be online and I can pull him out and put him back online um, if academically he's not succeeding. So it's, it's, it's been, that was a really hard decision to make um, because what is more important, his academic or his social growth for the rest of his life. Um, How do you choose between the two of them? So we're going to see what happens and we might be switching things up um, as the year goes. I'm hoping that him being in different classrooms helps him. You know, he'll be walking across campus. He'll be getting, um, he won't be staring at the same four walls all day long. And I hope that that helps um, with his attention and all of that type of things. And so that's, That's my plan for now is send him back, see how he does, um, hope for the best, but have a backup plan. And I know it's probably with kids in public school, it wasn't a huge issue to put them back in person because I think that's how they personally prefer it. But was there anything special you needed to do to get things set up the way that you wanted them? Luckily, the school that he attends is amazing. Um, we really lucked out with that. They are, I, I'm in constant contact with the social worker, um, his resource teachers. I'm very involved. So if I have questions, I know who to go to. Um, these people were very helpful, even though uh, when he was online and not in their school, the way they set it up is the online school and the brick and mortar school is completely different. So you're going to have completely different teachers. Um, It's basically as if it's two separate schools. But his current school, like I said, I've been completely involved from the get-go when my daughter started in kindergarten there and now she's um, in junior high. And so I think the biggest thing is just communicating, Um, finding those people who are willing to communicate and be on your team and build your team up to be supported. And, um, and would you say I've that been, was a counselor for you, a school counselor, or was there someone else within the school? So um, the social worker, really, she has been amazing um, because, like I said, he has social anxieties and social issues that um, she's worked with him one-on-one as well. Um, she volunteered to work with him online, even though she wasn't assigned to him. She fought for him. 
to be with him because she knew that it would be helpful for him to have a familiar face when everything else is changing. And like I said, for the first three months of the school year, things were constantly changing, whether it's his main teacher switched three times, his um, resource teacher switched, I think, three or four times. And he would go to school on Friday and then Monday he would log in and it'd be a different teacher. And with that, you know, you have different expectations and and then I have to contact them and be like, okay, I'm blind. I need everything sent through email, not in PDF form. And so it was advocating not just for him, but for myself so that I could be an advocate for him. It's huge. And that's whether in school or online, that was always a struggle. And I really had a fight for him to get an IEP in the first place when he was in first grade. So I hit the ground running um, starting when he was in kindergarten because I knew even though no one saw it, no one believed me, I knew there were disabilities there. And, um, you know, when you have 15, more like 20, 25 kids in a classroom, it's hard to see that one. So starting in kindergarten, I was calling the principal, trying to get testing done. Um, and just, you know, I told the principal, I'm a stay-at-home mom, I can call you every day. Um, so you <laughs> so you can talk to me every day or you can just do what I want. And um, looking up and seeing what my what my rights are as a parent and what my child's rights are as a student and knowing that, hey, I, I did this request in writing and you have 60 days until it has to be complete by law. And um, when they weren't, when it was 50 days after I sent that email and I did not get a response, I sure called that school and said, hey, you have 10 days to get all this testing done. I have followed up emails. I have it all here. And I, I will say within 10 minutes, I had a call back and everything was done on time. So it is keeping good records, um, communicating in writing. If there is communications over the phone, um, I like to do a follow-up email with whoever it was that I spoke with. And just thank you for your time. Thank you for discussing these issues with me. And I would bullet point them. These are what we talked about. This is the changes we were going to make. This is what I was told. And sending them an email that documents it to me, but that also holds them responsible for, hey, this is, you know, I'm not going to let things slide. This is what needs to be done. This is, you know, and following up with them. If I don't get a response within the time frame they said I would, I'm following up. I'm not going to be, okay, well, maybe next week I'll follow up with them because that's a week, another week of my kid's education and life that he went without receiving the services he deserved. And I think that brings up a good point. Where did you go to find the rights for you and for your son? It's all online. Um, I, I just happened to, um, know a, a, um, a retired resource teacher. And I also found a lot of information on Facebook, um, just going into, you know, dyslexia parents with dyslexic children groups, ADHD groups, and asking, reading, you know, other people were posting questions and I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about that. And just reading the comments. And then I made a bunch of notes. And then when I walked into his IEP meeting, I said, you know, these are things that um, accommodations that have been made for people, for other individuals with this specific disability that has seemed to work and just not taking no for an answer when I knew it was the right thing to do. When my son was in kindergarten, rather than the, they actually held him back one year. And I had a horrible feeling about that because he was too young. They couldn't test him. That's what they kept telling me. So um, they held him back. And ever since then, I knew that it wasn't because of him being too young. I knew it was because of disability. So once he started that second year of kindergarten, I didn't, I was relentless that he gets what he deserves and he gets to learn the way that works best for him. And that was a huge part of his self-esteem. Like I said, this year, his self-esteem went up a ton. He knew he was held back in kindergarten. He would tell people, I'm stupid. I went, I got held back in kindergarten. And I'm the mom, you know, I'm telling you you're not stupid, that you're really smart. You just learn differently. But that's hard to believe because I'm the mom. I'm supposed to say that, you know? And so 
for him to flourish this year. And, and that's why that decision was so hard is I saw growth. He doesn't tell people anymore. I got held back. He um, is starting to, you know, read menus on the video games he wants to play. Um, he'll spell them out. He'll, um, you know, he'll ask Alexa how to spell things. So it's these little things that me being here and saying, okay, why don't we try this? Why don't we do that? That has given him the confidence where he'll mute himself and he'll ask the Alexa how to spell something and he'll type it up and then he can submit it into the chat and not be the kid who spells everything wrong. So, um, just little things like that, that have really made a difference. But my thing is go with your gut. Don't, don't let them, you know, if you don't have a good feeling about it, don't do it. Don't allow it. And I wish I would have had more of a backbone or not just thought, you know, I thought I really thought, well, they're the teachers. They know better than I do, but he's my kid. I know better. So just letting myself know that was huge. And not going with what they recommended and going with what I read, what I researched, the books I, you know, downloaded and read. I read so many books. So, and just to learn about how I can advocate for him. And so uh, some of it was for myself, like, you know, send him an emails. Don't do this. You know, I can't access that. Speaking up, not just going to my husband and being like, can you read this to me? Speaking up and telling them I need this differently so I can be an advocate for my kid. And that gave myself more self-confidence also. So sorry for the long Thanks word. Thanks so much, <laughs> Kayla. <laughs> sorry. And, and I hear you on a lot of that because I, I have some similar struggles with one of my children. Uh, but Tabitha, not to leave you out, where would you recommend that college students go to get those accommodations in place that they are looking for and that they want and that they need? Most colleges have an office and it, it can be called different things at different places, whether it's the program for students with disabilities or the um, disability services office or the office of accessibility. But that really um, for college students is where you want to go. And so one of the things that can be difficult for students when they get to college is to understand that they're no longer in that system where, you know, IEPs are mandated or 504 plans, whichever they have, and that parents and teachers aren't going to make sure that they have their accommodations. It's on them to be good self-advocates. And so when I meet with students and parents, sometimes the parents will want to start answering all the questions. And I try to very gently get the student to answer and explain why I do that. Because when, at least at Auburn, um, once the student sends their professors, their accommodations information um, online, there's an online method, then they need to follow that up and meet with the instructor. Now, whether that's on Zoom or phone or in person, however, but they need to be able to talk about their accommodations and express what they need. And so that's one of the big things I think for students as they transition from high school into college is to make sure that they're learning how to be good self-advocates and express the, the functional limitations that their disability causes, whatever they happen to be. So that's, that's what I would say about getting, you know, resources. And then communicating with the faculty. You know, if you're in a class and you've got accommodations or you feel like, you know, something's not happening right, I think, I think communication is so key because we don't know that something's not working unless a student tells us. So I hope that answers a little bit about that. Thanks so much, Tabitha. Uh, Nat, since you have gone through both worlds of this, of advocating for yourself and then having your parents help you learn to advocate for yourself, can you explain a little bit of your process? What I do in, in both situations, what I've done is I have always approached the professor either after class or, you know, I sent them an email. It's definitely not something that is required, but I feel like it breaks that barrier because teachers and professors, they really don't want to be insulting, but they don't know how to ask the questions that need asking. You know, so I feel like I just come forward and I'm just like, hi, this is who I am. And, you know, 
I'd really, really love it if we could communicate over the course of the semester. And, you know, I, I found that teachers just truly, really appreciate that honesty. They, they really, really appreciate you being the person to come and say, hey, it's okay to ask the difficult questions. Because, you know, a lot of teachers have never had the opportunity to work with a student with a disability or with a visual impairment more specifically. And they've just been, you know, like, how can I be better? How can I do better? And I'm like, well, this is, this, you know, works for me. It may not work for every blind student, but here's some experience, you know, and here's, um, here's key. Oh, you're, you know, telling them that it's okay to email you if you have questions and making sure that it is okay for you to do the same. I found, especially during the pandemic, that because I, w- I did struggle. I struggled a lot with, you know, trying to make things work and trying to feel like I was a part of the class. Being really honest with your professors and telling them that and telling them, you know, this is how I feel. It, it really, really, it really just felt very humanizing because people tend to forget that, hey, our professors are actually human. Who knew? But, you know, they, it's, it was definitely something that we could sit down and talk about. And I feel like that is something that we need to do, be more mindful of is bridging that gap. And, you know, whether we're in person or whether we're staying online, I think telling them that if you're struggling, tell them that if you're, if you feel you know, not included, tell them that it's your education. And it's definitely you who's going to be losing out if you do not speak up for yourself. Thanks so much. So Nat, I'm just curious. I know that schooling is not just during the school day. So you have transportation and things that might come up during the day. And Tabitha, you might have some good perspective. I know Kayla, some of that's going to be more the public school system, but How do you take care of transportation, especially if we're bouncing back and forth from in-person and online classes? That is a whole other. (laughs) Um, I use paratransit. It's all part of the learning experience. Oh, yeah. I used paratransit and admittedly, it was a bit difficult to have that perfect timing um, just because, you know, paratransit, everybody knows is a bit wonky, especially in big cities. I resulted a lot to using Uber and because I had a guide dog, then dealing with the potential dog service dog denials. And a lot of it, again, was being like, okay, I'm going to shoot my professor a quick email. I'm not trying to miss class, but, you know, this is real life because, sure, at the time I, you know, when the pandemic first began, I was living at home with my parents, but my parents work. You know, my mom tries to be the best mom ever, like every parent does, and it's just, it's, not feasible because she also has a life. She also has to work. So it's, you know, being ready to come up with a backup plan. Yeah, I would say while classes were um, remote and I was working at home, it wasn't an issue. Now that we're back, um, I use, we have a dial-a-ride public transit system here. It's not paratransit, but it's a dial-a-ride. So I use that. Uh, We also have our university transit system, which I can use as well. And, and cabs and things like that. But I, I was slower to go back using some of those systems just because and, until, you know, the vaccines were available and all that kind of stuff. That was more of a personal comfort level. But I would say the same issues that I've had, I think, that our students probably do as well. But yeah, I have the same options that I had before COVID in that regard. Is it okay for me to speak now? Yeah, I was just going to ask you to ask your question. Um, Yeah, so um, I raised my hand when you guys were talking about advocacy because I have the same job Tabitha does. And one thing that I found that students really need to learn, and this goes for all ages except maybe very little kids, is not just advocating for your needs, but learning to be specific. 
And I think you can even train younger children in this skill. And I'm going to give you a couple examples and then go on mute. One example is, I tried to log on, but it didn't work. Instead, it would be good to say, I got on the, to the learning management system and I got into files, but I couldn't find the download button. That would be far more specific. Or um, I got your assignment and I read it and I don't understand it. Would be much better to say, what do you mean site sources? What do site sources mean? So this is the biggest problem my disabled students have when they advocate for themselves is they're so vague that their advocacy is not effective. And so I think when we're working with students, the best thing we can teach them to do is if they don't like something or they want something to be changed, they need to be clear and specific. And I'll go back on mute now. Thank you. That is absolutely Thanks correct. Thanks so much. Yeah, yeah I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, and that's that's part of, I think, that whole process of being able to advocate and talk to professors and the Office of Accessibility or whatever it's called at your school is be specific, be able to um, articulate the reason that you're struggling. The other thing I, I sometimes suggest to students is that they write down the points that they want to cover in a meeting. Because sometimes asking for what you need can be an emotional, you know, it, it can feel a little emotionally uh, tense or, you know, uncomfortable if you're talking to a faculty member and you feel like, oh gosh, how are they going to react and how are, how are things going to go? And so sometimes I suggest, you know, write things down. That way, the things that you want to cover, you make sure that you get to in that meeting and then, you know, follow it up. Like, like Kayla was talking about, about documenting any concerns. I think so too. Um, I think timing is everything because I didn't teach this past semester, but I taught fall 2020. And I think timing, because what I was finding on our campus is that students were waiting until Thanksgiving to say I was having a problem. And that wasn't even necessarily for students with disabilities, just students in general were waiting um, if they were having difficulty, as the panel has stated, with communicating with the professor or if they were having uh, technology issues or didn't have, because we're, we're in rural Kentucky. It is Frankfurt Plant Board. We can't even get AT&T. Here, I have went through three internet companies myself. So it is very rural and, and they're real problems. But I think uh, addressing it ahead of time is very, very beneficial. Chris Ma, you are allowed to talk. Beautiful presentation. I am too a um, university student, and um, I just wanted to give a comment to anybody that's listening too. Um, I don't really have a question, but I would say that my biggest fear was asking for help. And I think that um, I, I came from a very prideful Pacific Islander family, and you know our culture raised us to kind of not ask for help, and we should have. And I think that was the biggest obstacle in my personal journey to get to higher education to where I'm at currently at Cal State Fullerton uh, is that I did not ask for help and I I suffered tremendously. I, I Thank God I had a job for 13 years, but it, it took 13 years to get to where I'm at right now. And I'm not going to lie, it, it was a tough journey. But I, I think that would be my number one lesson to, to the young people, the younger people than me, is that um, please ask for help from your professors. I mean, I've had professors tell me that um, they would play, you know, little games on their computer during the pandemic because none of the students, and this is sighted and disabled students, uh, would come to their office hours. And they were just amazed, like, why don't they take advantage and, and ask me for help? This is what my job is. So I just wanted to say that, and I'm going to go back on mute, but thank you so much for the uh, beautiful presentation. And congratulations to all the students here. Thank you. Thanks so much, Chris. Yeah, thank you so much, Chris. Kathy, you are allowed to talk. Hi, this is Kathy, um, Tennessee and Florida, Kathy King. And uh, first of all, you folks have done a fabulous job with this session. You made terrific choices for your participants, your panel. Everything's just so well done. I'm a former professor of adult education and adult learning from University of Central Florida, Orlando. Um, so a shout out to our professor of adult ed there. 
And I, I, I wanted to say the same thing that the previous caller said. Please reach out to your professors. Um, we are Most professors are very happy to help if they know what the need is. Show that you're making an effort and be specific about what you need. As specific as you can be, you know, vague will not get you the assistance you need. Um, to the adult ed prof, do you know anything that's going on in adult literacy or GED education or ABE? How have those folks fared during this time? Actually, I don't know about that area. Um, the course I teach is a graduate course, so I, I am so sorry. I can't give you an update on the current state of that's a, that's uh, GED. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. So sorry. I, I taught graduate school as well, but we connected with the field a mm. lot to mm. be able to use examples. But thank you very much. You folks have been a absolutely wonderful. That shift from um, the IEP system to college is mm. so difficult for your youngsters. The sooner you can introduce their self-advocacy in the K-12 system, the better you are. Um, hats off to the mom. I, I am just overwhelmed at your diligence and um, your effectiveness. Thank you for doing this session. Thanks so much, Kathy. Yeah, thank you, Kathy. Definitely. While we're doing college tours, because my daughter is going into the 11th grade, and for us, we have two offices. Of course, we want to see the landscape to see how flat it is, right? But we're also looking at first the Office of Disability Services and what that looks like on various campuses and then the Office of Career Services because that's where I work. So where are they doing their internships? What are the employment opportunities? And she will be embarking on dual enrollment at my university in the fall. And it's going to be very a different experience for her because we are, uh, they call our campus the college on the hill, but to just kind of navigate, I've learned something even being the facilitator from our panelists as a parent as well. So thank you all for your input. Thank you for the over 40 participants that have been with us for the last hour. Now Mo will give us some door prizes for our esteemed guests that have joined us for the last hour. So we have an ACB Next Generation. If you pay our special interest affiliate fee, if you had pre-registered, I should say, um, which was a $10 fee, we have 10, $10 no, um, gift cards that we are giving out. And this hour we are giving out two of those. So our two people that are receiving one of our $10 gift cards is Kristen Kelling. And the other one is Shane Anguilera, which I know both of them probably are not in this particular call, but congrats to them. I just wanted to say one more thing about our door prize drawings is that if you do pay the special interest affiliate fee for convention, you can add that to your registration. Even now that the convention is going on, we are giving out one $50 mini ball, ACB mini ball um, gift card at the end of the convention. Betsy, you are allowed to talk. So uh, what I was going to say, uh, I teach and college. Oops, I teach college also, and um, I would uh, just ask students to make sure that you plan ahead, and so we're not, because sometimes people come up, you know, they, they apply like the day before, and that's a little bit late, and I agree, uh, we profs are looking for people to come to our office hours, and we're willing to help, but sometimes it's it's late and it's hard to get things in place uh, when things are too late. Thank you. Amanda, you are allowed to talk. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Amanda Selm and I'm the president of ACB Next Generation. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, actually, uh, Tanika. And I would love to uh, connect with you. Yes. Because uh, my family lives in Frankfort, Kentucky. And uh, I wanted to uh, just come on here and say that I uh, related to a little bit to what Kayla was saying earlier about going into a hybrid environment and advocating um, because my daughter 
um, she is, now she's in early learning. She's four. And last year she was three and um, she was receiving therapy at the time. And so uh, in mid-March of last year, we had to go from in-person therapy to um, uh, teletherapy. And they were using Microsoft Teams um, for it. And I'm not a huge fan of Microsoft Teams because I don't understand. I'm used to Zoom. I'll just say that. So I asked, I had, remember had to, asking her OT and her uh, speech therapist um, if we could switch to Zoom because I could see the switches better and I knew how to go to full screen. I could I could see them on full screen, but I couldn't see me on full screen or on a bigger screen. Um, if there's a way to do that, somebody connect with me offline, um, please. Um, but I wanted to say um, it, was, it got to a point where uh, I couldn't see what the therapist wanted me to do uh, with my daughter, like positioning her hand in scissors and, uh, you know, working with her on her pencil grips. And so it got to a point where like May, I'm just like, listen, um, I, 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 I don't know what we need to do here, but we, we need to do something because I cannot see what you're doing. And I don't, I know you're not getting frustrated. I'm trying not to get frustrated, but at the same time, I'm like, we've got to do something. And at that point, um, it turned out like with OT, it turned out there were a lot of parents that were just like, can we please come in even with restrictions along with me? And so at that point they were just like, yeah, we're going to reopen with restrictions. And so um, that was, that was really neat. It made me think of that. Um, and, uh, so, yeah, I was just thinking about that, um, Kayla. But I was um, I, my kids aren't as old as yours, but I thought about that because I I was listening to you, and you know we gotta speak for our kids, you know. So yeah, there we go. And it Amanda. also it's hard to know when it is appropriate to advocate for my own for myself for things I need when it's coming to his education. Um, that was a real struggle for me is I don't feel like I, I should ask for these accommodations because they're not helping him, but it does help me help him. And that's when I kind of realized that, that I was able to advocate for myself while advocating for him. And I do agree. And it's been said a couple of times where, um, you have them advocate for themselves and once we got his computer going and, and this is a big thing I did with my daughter as well is if you don't understand, I don't know. I'm not the teacher. I'm not in the class. I'm sitting here, but I'm doing my own work, you know, and my own job to do and saying, well, just drop your, your, um, teacher an email and ask them. And neither of them at first wanted to do that. And Towards the end of the school year, they were both doing it on my on their own and being like, oh, I asked my teacher this. I'm like, oh, thank goodness, because I just didn't have the time trying to work and educate both of them to do it. And I think that this experience is is wonderful for that and them getting to, um, you know, learn because that's how it's going to be when they get jobs later is you're going to have to step up and ask and put yourself out there. So. Mary Hayes, you're allowed to talk. I'm Mary Carla Hayes, but somehow my Zoom has my legal name. I want to say, first of all, that you folks have done a fantastic job of, um, you know, answering and asking questions in this discourse and everything. I I am just so happy. I I think this is a really great seminar, and every one of you needs to be commended. And also how you handle not just the seminar, obviously, but your circumstances. And uh, I think it's important to realize, and I'm so glad that the question was asked, what are the upsides of all this? Because there are, I know Even for myself, I teach foreign languages and I teach part-time in a Christian school and I have my own business um, teaching and translating foreign languages. And I had to put my homeschoolers completely online, of course, and then I was doing sort of a hybrid thing from school. You know, sometimes I was teaching from school and sometimes I was teaching from home. And, you know, I mean, it was just crazy. But um, I have um, two questions, one that has 
to do with advocacy and one that really does not, but something I'm curious about. First of all, with the advocacy, um, I think it's very important if you are an instructor, if you're a teacher, you also need to advocate for yourself when you are being asked to do hybrid, when you're being asked to teach from home and maybe with an inaccessible LMS. And I know I um, this has made me a stronger teacher because I've learned to use Zoom and now I can teach online. But sometimes, this, do you have any advice? I was lucky in that I was able to advocate um, to use Zoom instead of the very inaccessible MLS for my classes that we have in our school. And I was going to ask you if you had any advice about um, professionals, how they need to advocate for themselves. And also, how did you compensate for the, the, the narrow bandwidth and some of the bad sound quality on Zoom? I know I had to make a lot of audio files that I sent because sometimes you lose a lot of things when you're using um, these online platforms. So I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to mute and listen to what you have to say about these two things. And thanks again. And Carla, I just want to say that you were so helpful in bringing this program even even to be because Carla was the one who helped me even get a name and get a description for it. So thank you so much. Carla, I, I know when I taught my class over Zoom, so my as I said before, my main job is in the Office of Accessibility. And then I, I teach as an adjunct professor for the adult ed program when they need me. And one of the things I advocated for was having um, a TA run the Zoom, uh, like the chat and the technical side of things. And I'm still doing that because I, I have students. So I'm teaching this summer. Um, and so we have students that participate via Zoom because we have extension agents that work out in the counties and things like that. So one of the things I advocated for was having somebody to manage that technical part so that I could tend to the teaching and I wasn't having to wonder if somebody wrote something in the chat or had their hand up or making sure that the the information was being shared. So I, I, I do definitely believe that people need professionals. We also need to advocate for what we need. That was something that, that I personally advocated for. And, and it wasn't a problem. They were very, very happy to do that. I think I'll speak on the bandwidth side of things. Uh, actually, my university did provide a hot spot. I contacted my cell phone company regarding the bandwidth. And then my um, graduate school, they ended up providing as a fundraiser. We were able to buy a hotspot for them. It was, it was $50 a month. But then my daughter got one from school. So we ended up going that route. But I did contact my cell phone company to just try to get more bandwidth. And one of the things that I had to learn quickly, Carla, was I was trying to, I was just saving it to the computer and I started saving it to the cloud. And it allowed me tons of bandwidth that I didn't know, but that was, I found I I had to, and of course, um, cause I am sighted, but I was like, man, I'm I'm losing bandwidth quickly because we have unlimited Zooms. So we have Zoom meetings that could last for hours and mm-hmm. trying to get that information out to students or faculty. So save it to the cloud. And we are down to that last five minutes. So um, Tanika or Tabitha, do you want to do a plug here for AABT? Sure. Um, we would love to have anyone who's interested in, in membership join us. Um, our website is blindteachers.net. And we have um, usually a community call once a month. We kind of call them teachers lounges where uh, people can join us. Sometimes we have a topic, but a lot of times it's, you know, it's a good place to find support or ask or answer questions. So those are great ways to get involved. We also have, actually, if we could ask, I do not have the schedule memorized. I know we have a film coming up this evening um, off the canvas. And Carla, if Carla could unmute, unless Tanika knows the schedule, I believe we have a space camp on Monday that we're co-sponsoring. And we have the walk 
to Tabitha. Yeah, our walk team. Oh, yes, yes. Our Touch of Class walk <laughs> team. That's our fundraiser. I'm so sorry. Thank you, Tanika. I'm always forgetting something. Space camp is on Tuesday because I'm Tuesday for you guys too. Ah, you're you're fabulous, Brandon. Thank <laughs> no. you. I was just gonna check because I'm like I know it's Monday or Tuesday. I think it's Tuesday, <laughs> and I I don't know. Um, I believe we may be co-sponsoring something else, Carla. If we are, feel free to raise your hand quick, and I imagine Brandon can unmute you. I wanted to put my um, email out there for Amanda since I am very new to the Commonwealth. But anybody on the call that does want to reach out, Amanda, my email address is nika1908 at yahoo.com. That is N as in Nancy, I as in ice cream, K as in kite, A as in apple, 1908 at yahoo.com. So I look forward to connecting with you. Danica, can you quick give us the closing credits as we're winding down on time? And then I'll see if I can do a plug for Next Gen before we close. Sure. The closing CEU number is 99611. Again, the closing CEU credit for this session is 99611. One, And we also, uh, Mo, want to give a shout out to Melanie, who was the um, convention coordinator to help us facilitate this and bring both of our groups together. I'll turn it over to you, Mo. Yes, Melanie was our awesome committee chair for ACB Next Generation. So she really helped me a ton with getting this program out there and going. And for anyone interested, ACB Next Generation does have a yearly dues that is different than your convention special affiliate fee. So the, our yearly dues is a $15 fee. And that is if you pay during convention, it does actually pay your registration with ACB next generation all the way until 2022, the end of 2022, I should say. And so it is actually one of the best $15 I've ever spent. I know that's, um, we, call one of our people triple g and that's kind of his tagline but i have to tell you i joined acb next generation back in about the middle of october and i joined the board in well i was voted in for starting in january and i have just been fully into acb next generation the whole time and it is not just for people under 40 it is just for those to promote leadership in those under 40. And we love everyone of every age because you all have so much vital information and experience that you can share with us. And I like to call it just, it's it's the future of ACB. So when you join Next Generation, you're joining, promoting, and lifting up the leaders of, the future leaders of ACB, I should say. But thank you so much to our panelists that have come with us today. I think, yeah, we're right at 4.15. So thank yep. you. <laughs> or 5.15, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I am in the central time zone. But thank you so much. And thank you, Brandon, for You're hosting welcome. for us. And thank, thank you for thank you, recording Brandon. us thank and streaming you guys. us. All right. And thank, thank you, Nat, Kayla, and Tabitha, and Tanika. And I hope to see you guys all around the convention here. Yes, y'all have a great weekend.